0: Hey, welcome to episode two of Flushing Transit Authority. We're a Mets podcast. I'm Jay Bushman. I'm here with Will Stegman. How's it going, Will? Hello, Jay. It's good. Is it time for baseball yet? Almost. We are, we are recording this on Saturday, uh, April 1st. Uh, because it's April Fool's Day, I'm wearing my Sid Finch Mets jersey. By the time this goes up, it should be uh, opening day. I always look forward
1: to opening day. But I'm really looking forward to this opening day. Yes,
0: I know. And we're going we're gonna to get into that. But uh, before we start off, we need to make a correction. It uh, turns out something we said in our last episode was inaccurate and that uh, Kelvin Chapman never did shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Uh, that's our mistake. We
1: apologize
0: to the entire Chapman family. Great. Now that that business is out of the
1: way, let's move on to the big story, opening day. I can't. This opening day has been the thing I've been looking for, looking forward to. As I see it, back in November, the Cubs won the World Series and then...
0: Everything went crazy. It's like we uh, we jumped into an alternate timeline or the Cubs fractured the space-time continuum or something. Yes,
1: the Cubs hoisting the trophy, breaks the seventh seal, <laughs> and everything goes insane. It has been a long winter full of bad news and political intrigue in the worst possible way. And the one thing I've been looking forward to since November is... Baseball coming back and the Mets coming back, so we can have our favorite distraction
0: back. So let's allow ourselves to be distracted, at least for a little while, from the tire
1: fire that's uh, happening outside of our windows. Right? It is gonna. I just my routine as a as a Mets fan living on the West Coast is that you know games start at basically 4:10. 4 o'clock starts. Games over basically by seven fifteen Pacific time every night, and I've got the rest of my night ahead of me. To either do nothing, Mm -hmm. to complain about the game, (laughs) or to watch um, the West Coast games on MLB Extra Innings to scout possible opponents. MLB Extra Innings is possibly the greatest thing ever invented. MLB has built the premier streaming service in the world. Yes. Um, You know, they have made choices to limit the way that technology sort of gets involved in the product on the field, but off the field, MLB has done a terrific job in making their game accessible to people. Um, the people who run the social media for MLB properties do a terrific job. Absolutely, um, the people that run social media for the you know for the Mets and for other teams do a fantastic job keeping fans engaged. Even the unofficial um, Mets social media. Properties: The Mets booth, um, the Mets
0: booth Twitter account, the um, the new uh, Gary Keith and Ron Instagram. The uh, and, uh, one of the goals for this episode, episode two, is to figure out how show notes work. So we're, if, if I can figure out how to do that, we'll put uh, we'll put links to all of these in the show notes. The
1: um, other favorite unofficial Mets social media property is the We Follow Lucas Duda um, Instagram account which is run by Curtis Granderson and others. Curtis Granderson may be not only my favorite member of the current Mets, but one of my top five favorite Mets of all time.
0: I always look forward to a Curtis Granderson interview because he's so smart. But even more than that, he's so comfortable on camera. And, you know, you watch him talking To someone, you feel like he's just having a conversation with a real person. Whereas you watch even very well trained players uh, who have a long history of of interacting with the media. I think specifically of someone like David Wright. You watch David Wright give an interview, and it's like that scene from Bull Durham where you're just like spouting the cliches and looking for the right cliche. Right. And I'm. Curtis Granderson, when he gives an interview, I want to know more about what he's talking about. He's really engaging. He's got a wonderful career as a broadcaster after his uh, after his playing days are over. If he wants it, um, even as a talk show host, I'd watch
1: that show. I would definitely watch like Curtis Granderson hosting a daytime talk show. Yeah, like like after the View is over, Curtis Granderson comes on and just sort of tells you nice stories. <laughs> tells you that you look nice. Curtis Granderson for president of TV. Anyway, we're
0: gonna. I think we're gonna change the name of this podcast to "We Follow
1: Curtis Granderson." We, yes, we follow Curtis Granderson, who follows Lucas Duda. <laughs> um, so yeah, I am just. I'm very excited. So we've got opening day uh, coming
0: shortly. So why don't we why don't we uh, talk a little bit about some of our favorite, or if not favorite, most indelible. Uh, opening day stories sure
1: I mean I you know I have missed very few opening days you know in the 35 years that I have been a sort of conscious Mets fan um, I even woke up in the middle of the night when they opened up in Japan I actually went uh, to Times Square
0: where they were broadcasting it live at, like, one of the restaurants there at, like, starting at, like, 2 or 3 a.m.
1: Did that game end with a Benny Agbayani game-winning RBI? It ended
0: with a Benny Agbayani. I can't remember if it was a double or if it was actually a home run. Um, We'll we'll look that up. We'll have our producer look that up. Wait, hang on. We don't have a producer. We...
1: Note, get a producer. All right. I'm I'm making a note of that. Well, what we need is a note, a producer who just tracks down the many (laughs) threads of Benny Agbayani (laughs) that are going to come
0: up as we do this. That's a whole other Instagram account. We follow Benny Agbayani.
1: But I, you know, I never miss an opening day. Even like if I have to listen on the radio at work, um, I, I never miss one. And, you know, it means something. It's, it's. You know, there are 161 games after it, but that first one means a lot.
0: It's the official end of winter. Um, although I will confess that I, like the players, sometimes have to spend some time getting into uh, uh, the uh, shape for the season. My my April fandom is a little spottier than my May fandom. My May fandom is a little better. Um Somewhere around June 1st is when it really starts to kick in and that may just be the result of years and years and years of believing in April that the team was going to be great and then by mid-May realizing wow they're really not. So it's almost like I don't trust it until June. I don't I don't even look at the standings until June 1st. I think also we may have been ruined by 1986 in that sense where by the end of April the season was pretty much over with that sweep of the Cardinals at the end of April where
1: we were like, We're not looking back. I remember nothing has
0: ever approached that.
1: I remember that. I had so much anticipation going into the eighty six season, as all Mets fans did. Now I had the bonus of being twelve years old in nineteen eighty six, which is the best possible age to be a fan of a very good team. Yes. Because one, you think it's going to last forever. Yes, um, and it's all still pure. You haven't been polluted by the world yet. The cocaine trials don't really mean much to you when you read those stories.
0: Not yeah, not as much as they would now. And then the '87 season, where you assume that we're just going to do this all over again. Of course, I have a, I have a really special kind of memory of opening day in 1987. Um, I was in junior high school and my parents told me and my younger sister that they were taking us out of school because my grandparents, who at the time were living in Florida, um, were taking a trip to Europe and their uh, flight was going to have a layover at LaGuardia. And so they were going to take us out of school and we were going to go and see our grandparents for a couple hours while they were waiting for their next flight. And I was like, all right, fine. I mean, I didn't really like my grandparents. They weren't the nicest people in the world. But on the other hand, get to get out of school for a day. So and, who's going to say no to that? And then? their grandparents. You got to pay respect. So we get out of school. My, my parents come. They pick me up. And we're like driving from, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Rockland County, which is north and west of the city, about 25 miles um, outside the city. And so we're driving down and, you know... Down to the George Washington Bridge and through the Bronx. And I'm like sitting in the backseat. And I was a I was a bookish kid, so I'm like reading something. And every so often I'm like looking up and like, oh yeah, all right, we're getting closer to the airport. How much time do I have left? How many, can I finish this chapter? And I'm engrossed in whatever it is I'm reading. And suddenly the car stops, and we're not at the airport. And I'm like, what's going on? And my parents say we're here, and my parents both put on Mets caps. Because they had, unbeknownst to us, bought tickets for opening day 1987. Uh, my grandparents were still in Florida. There was no trip. That was whole thing was a fiction. They surprised us with these tickets to see the Mets raise their 1986 World Championship flag. However, this being New York City, there was more traffic than they expected. We did not get there until the bottom of the first inning, so we did not get to see the flag raised, but we did get to see it flapping in the beautiful, swirling Shea Stadium breeze. You got
1: to see it. It was still brand new up there. Now, I have to say, like I love that the lengths that your parents went to make this a surprise for you. However, not to encyclopedia-brown your parents, (laughs) but why would your grandparents be going to Europe through LaGuardia? That is impossible. (laughs) It is not an international airport. That's a flaw
0: in the plan. You know, it's entirely possible that they said it was Kennedy.
1: I'll ask them. I'm sure my dad will comment um, and, uh, and, and clear it up. I love that you got to go to that game, though. That was a game that I watched on TV. I have never been to a Mets um, opening day or a home opener game Um, that is not due to lack of trying. Hmm. 2009 was the opening of Citi Field. Mm -hmm. And shortly before the first game at Citi Field, I got an email from my father who said, pack your bags, we're going to the first game at Citi Field. Hmm. My dad and I had talked about it over the winter And just couldn't get tickets. You know, it was Mm -hmm. the first game. It sold out right away. And then the aftermarket, way too expensive. But last minute, my dad came through with a connect who said, Oh yeah, I can get you a pair of tickets. So booked a flight, went back home. But the day the game was happening comes around. And my dad's not around. I'm like, all right, it's okay. He's gotta work, he's gotta do stuff. The day goes on and on and on. And I realize, okay, something is wrong here. Because one, he has not called me to confirm what time we're leaving. He has not called just to check to make sure that I know where to meet him or whatever. He's nowhere to be found, which was unusual. Finally, five o'clock rolls around. Now, my dad lived on Long Island. And we like to get to games early. So if it's five o'clock and you're not already on (laughs) the, you know, Grand Central Parkway, you're not going to a game. So I realized by five o'clock, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. My dad comes home at five o'clock, says nothing about the game, says nothing about, hey, let's go, says nothing about, sorry that I'm late. Oh, that doesn't sound good. And I go through sort of two very strong emotions. First is, I'm disappointed that we're not going to the game. But secondly, I see my dad is just deflated. And I've never seen him looking um, like he felt like he had failed. And of course, you know, I bear no anger. You know, I got nothing but, you know, nothing but understanding. He tried his best. But, like, he didn't want to come home to tell me that the connection that was supposed to get him the tickets somehow flaked mm. um and I never found out what happened so my dad and I end up going to um his favorite local bar to um to watch the game mm. which was great you know going to his favorite local place he and his him and his buddies sitting there watching the game we watched the first four innings in a local bar had a very nice conversation just about the Mets and about opening day and then midway through he said hey, let's go home and watch the rest of the game at home. like, I got snacks. We'll just hang out at the house like we used to. We go back to my dad's house. We watch the game. The Mets get crushed. But (laughs) we don't care. Like, we're having a good time. We are two people who, for the entirety of my life, the thing that we could bond on was the Mets. We were very distant about a lot of things. But when it came to the Mets, we could talk about the Mets in a way that we couldn't talk about other things. Right. It's almost like you could
0: see the scene in a in a movie, the movie scene version of it, with the subtitles underneath yeah. of what you guys were really saying right. to it's each like, other.
1: What are we really talking yeah. about? And yeah. We're we're really talking about is connection and what this game means to family and, and spending what, time together. Yes, yes. This was the thing that we could do that mm-hmm. was trouble free. Yeah. And the game ends. We finish our snacks. We finish our beer. My dad says, Good night. He's got to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. He had asked me if I wanted to extend my trip and maybe we could go to the next night's game. And I really wanted to get back to LA. So I said, You know what? No, I'm going to take the flight I had planned. The next afternoon, I fly back to LA. And, you know, we had a very nice time and figured. I'll come back in the fall. We'll go to a game, you know, maybe in September. Who knows? Maybe the mm. 2009 Mets surprise us. They play <laughs> into October. Didn't happen. So my dad and I did not get to go to a game at City Field that day. And shortly after the Mets season ended, my father unexpectedly passed away. Oh, wow. So we never got to City Field together. And... I didn't expect that that opening, you know, home opener 2009 was going to be our last opportunity to see a game together in person or on TV. Um, but it was, and that was okay. The thing is, every time I've gone back to Citi Field, I have felt the obligation to take him with me. So if you ever run into me at Citi Field, um chances are very good that I have the mass card from my dad's funeral mm. stuck in my pocket somewhere. Wow. Um, and I bring it with me so that if I get close enough to the field, I can actually drop it onto the field. And so far I have not actually done it. I was there, um, in the fall of 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, for a uh, a very important game that uh, the Mets ended up losing mm-hmm. um, and I had it with me, and I was leaning over the railing and i couldn't bring myself to drop it onto the field, but one of these days, I will leave that card um, somewhere in the warning track <laughs> or down the you know first and right. third base line. I think we should
0: aim higher, I think we should make it our goal for this podcast to reach out to people who will help us get you onto the field at City Field so you can put that card on home plate and we can take a picture
1: of it. <laughs> that would be terrific. Um, well, you know what? Let's set goals. Let's set whatever goals it's we want. It's opening
0: day. All
1: things are possible now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, since the season is coming up, do we want to talk about some predictions for the upcoming year? I think we absolutely do. But before we do that, we have to uh, take a break for
0: a word from one of our sponsors. True. Um, Got to pay the bills. And let's talk about those predictions when
1: we get back. Absolutely. This episode of the Flushing Transit Authority is brought to you by our friends at the Secaucus TV Archives, your home for lost TV classics. They put out some amazing stuff. Last year they put out the Lloyd Lindsay Young Tapes. Wow. Twelve hours of tri-state area weather coverage from the 80s. Can you say hello entertainment? (laughs) I can, thanks to the Caucus TV archive. Now, Jay, you remember when we were kids, the first place to go to get Mets baseball was WOR. Mm -hmm. Now I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time in the 70s and 80s where WOR got really into trying to become the fourth major network. And they were producing a lot of original programming. In the 70s, WOR was looking for a hit. There was nothing hotter on TV than Jack Klugman's Quincy. Oh, yeah, that's right. So to compete with Quincy, WOR, Produced a TV show from 1979 to 1981 called Kiner's Coroner. Um, Hall of Famer Ralph Kiner and Mets manager Joe Torre would investigate suspicious deaths and solve crimes. That's right.
0: How can I have forgotten I about that? I vaguely
1: remember like this coming on, like the game would be over, and it's like we now take you to Kiner's Coroner. Ralph and Joe would use their medical examiner skills. To figure out what happened. And then there was that famous episode where Ralph and Joe infiltrated the Flushing Queens punk rock scene. Like, in disguise, like Ralph at a punk rock club. Like, it was fantastic. Wow. But, like, that show was considered Lost. Alright, we're going to have to go and watch all of these episodes. You can go to Kiner'sCoroner.tv to get your hands on this Lost TV classic. Use the promo code FLUSHING to get 10% off. And this stuff is not on Netflix, folks. You cannot get this through any of your streaming services. Kiner's Coroner, available only through the Secaucus TV archives. So, um, Jay, you want to talk about our predictions for the upcoming season? Sure, we should.
0: It's opening day. Anything is possible. We're full of optimism. But... Let's be honest, we're also Mets fans, which means we're full of pessimism and worry and the sky is perpetually falling. So, let's um let's let's go through what we think the the positive and maybe some of the negative predictions sure. for the year are.
1: What do you what do you, what do you well, have? You know what? I've got 5 predictions for the season that I'm going they are from least likely to most likely. Okay. So we're going to start with my number one prediction, which I'm going to tell you is the most improbable prediction, but still could happen. That is, the 2017 New York Mets finished the season 162 and 0. It could happen. Right now, they're on pace totally to be 162 and 0. Statistically, it's you know certainly within the realm of possibility. One of these days, yeah, it's got to happen. Absolutely. Like I have done a number of. Baseball season simulations. Um, and I'm not joking. Like, I, I have done this. Um, and in all of the simulations that I've done at the 2017 Mets, they have peaked at 105 wins. Okay. Which is, I gotta tell you, short of my goal. They are 62 or bust. Yeah. Prediction number two. Okay. The other team in New York disbands. <laughs> Every year, I I believe that the Mets will be so good That that other team looks over at Queens and says We can't compete with this (laughs) Shut it down Why bother? Yeah, let's go home So now we're going to get into some more probable things Number three The 2017 National League Cy Young Award winner Is on the Mets I would be thrilled This is the year Okay, mark it down. I, I right. wrote it down. All right, we'll I wrote, wrote it, it down. It, I wrote it down, and I All right. read it to we'll you. Re- we'll revisit this uh, uh, at the end of the year. Not saying who it is. Okay, could be uh, look, Seth Lugo. Could be Seth Lugo. It could be um, Robert Selman, mm-hmm. Hansel Robles. Could be, yeah, could be anybody. Sure. So here's a very likely, mm-hmm. and I'm not even going to put names to this. One. Okay, two Mets will hit 30 or more home runs.
0: Oh, yeah. I'll buy in that.
1: In 2000 Who, who, and who are going to be? I believe it is going to be Lucas Duda mm-hmm. and Jay Bruce.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: I think the Jay Bruce that we see is going to be more like the Jay Bruce who we saw for several years in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a healthy Bruce and Duda are going to take a lot of weight off of um, Cespedes. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully. So let's see what happens. I think Cespedes is going to have a good year. I, you know, of course, I think everybody's going to be sure. playing at an all-star level. But I do think that bounce-back year from Duda and a a year from Bruce that we have come to expect. I think we will get the Jay Bruce we thought we were going to get when the Mets traded for him.
0: I'm almost worried that Jay Bruce is going to be too good. That I mean, we've got this this. Outfield logjam, Which Mm -hmm. sort of leaves Michael Conforto On the side of the road Sort of you know With a a bindle over his shoulder Trying to figure out Where where he's supposed to go True And it's like You know We're waiting For somebody To make an offer For someone like Jay Bruce Or god forbid Curtis Granderson Or somebody to Open up a slot To reconfigure the outfield Never Never
1: Never trade Curtis Granderson Prediction number five This is the most likely to happen Okay This is a done deal Mark this one down. Okay. Bartolo Colon returns to the Mets. Whoa! In a deadline deal.
0: Wow. The Mets
1: in... Do we get Kelly Johnson, too? I I think... Well, there's the annual pickup (laughs) of Kelly Johnson. But Bartolo Colon is the greatest player in Major League Baseball. Well, pound for pound for entertainment value. There's no arguing. And I believe that the Braves... (laughs) Um, will be out of the race. Mm -hmm. The Mets will need some insurance, Mm -hmm. somebody to maybe eat some innings towards Mm -hmm. the rest of the season as they have to sit down Zach Wheeler. Mm -hmm. Um, Injuries happen. Always. So to have uh, an experienced and hilarious arm coming out of the bullpen (laughs) or picking up some spot starts down the stretch, Bartolo Colon will be back.
0: Okay. Well, I I look forward to the possibility of that. I don't Think I share your uh, your opinion on that, but I would not
1: be unhappy for that to happen. That's my Mets lock of the year. Okay. Market Okay. Well um yeah, so you've
0: what got your you got? Pr- you've got your predictions, I've got my worries. We're Mets fans, we worry, we're always looking for the cloud and the silver lining. Right. We wouldn't be Mets fans if we weren't yep. waiting for it to rain. So here are the three things that worry me most about this upcoming year. Number one is Thor's elbow. Every other member of the Mets pitching staff has had Tommy John surgery, other surgeries. Let's throw in some random exotic surgeries to the because we're not.
1: thoracic outlet syndrome. Um,
0: Noah Syndergaard to this point has not. He spent this offseason apparently adding like 25 pounds of muscle to his body. And I just... Am waiting for the moment when this finely calibrated machine just
1: blows up. I, I understand your your worry. Past history gives mm-hmm. us plenty of reason to worry. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've read. Um, is it uh, Jonah Carey's book? I could be. I, I will look that up. And uh, we may have to correct this next week. Yeah. But the arm, I believe Jonah Carey wrote it, just about Tommy John surgery. Uh. Um, and, you know, if you look at just the the road to coming back from an elbow issue is really tough. Mm-hmm. And we've sort of gotten used to seeing players come back to the point where you don't think about how unlikely it is. And I hope that you are wrong. You just hope oh, that... I hope so, too. <laughs> that Syndergaard yeah. is just the freak of nature who can handle it.
0: And one of the things we always like to talk about is the narrative elements of baseball and the Mets have staked so much of the narrative of their team on the pitching staff with Syndergaard at the top that it, this is not that dissimilar to Matt Harvey two years ago, that a loss of that player has a larger narrative impact um, on the the fortunes and on the psyche of the team and the fans than maybe another player.
1: Um, That noise you hear in the background is my dog, by the way, who has some really solid thoughts on the Mets. Olive is the biggest Mets fan you'll find. But she is ridiculously profane. (laughs) But, you know, we do invest so much of our hopes into players whose bodies Mm -hmm. and whose... Performance, we have no say over. Right, right, And it's a dangerous thing to put your um, put your hopes. Well, I think a lot about how
0: you know how much the careers and lives of Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry play out as these sort of mythic parables in the minds of Mets fans. There, and that's when when Noah Syndergaard starts a game with 101 mile an hour fastballs, nine pitches in a row, striking out the side, it's hard not to heap that kind of adulation and that kind of expectation on him. So he now occupies this position that Matt Harvey did two years ago, where his starts are going to mean more. His wins are going to mean more. His losses are going to mean more and, and If something happens to his elbow, it's going to hurt a lot more.
1: Yes, absolutely. However, we have to be careful as fans to not overwhelm players with our expectations. And it's easier said than done. Easier said than done. And I think as I've gotten older, I've got better at it. If a player goes down, it is not the end of the season. Yeah. So that's worry number one. Worry number
0: two is is also another narrative uh, uh, worry, and that's uh, the the Joanna Cespedes narrative. Um, uh, Cespedes has been one of the greatest baseball players I've ever witnessed in a narrative sense. He is that player, the same way that Piazza was the player that no matter what the situation in the game was, you never missed an at-bat because something might happen.
1: There are, over the last two seasons, there have been two players whose at-bats I never missed. Mm -hmm. Um, From the day Cespedes got here, Cespedes comes up to the plate, I stop what I'm doing and I'm watching. The other, of course, being Bartolo Colon for a completely different reason. For a completely different reason, yes. But, um... Cespedes is
0: now in that spot. He has an inordinate burden on his shoulders to carry the narrative of this team. And if there's one thing that New York fans are excellent at is turning on you on a dime. So what happens if Cespedes has a lousy April? Um, What happens if... He, you know, doesn't hit home runs, even if he has like a high batting average or hits a lot of doubles, but he's not hitting home runs. The questions are going to start. What's wrong with him? Oh, and then we've got the answers to that. Well, he signed the big contract. He doesn't care anymore. We have all of these ready-made narratives to plug into when a player does or does not achieve certain things. And so if Cespedes doesn't come out of the gate hard, I mean, think about like Neil Walker's April of of last year. Which was amazing. Which was amazing and bought him so much credit and leeway for the rest of the year when he had months where he was not hitting anything. Right. But because of that April, we were like, oh,
1: but he's fine. He'll come back. I think that to counter your concern, um, I think there is less of a risk of – is doing those things this year. I think that Cespedes is very comfortable um, as a member of the Mets, and is very comfortable living in the New York area. The question is, does that comfort lead to complacency? And I don't. I think the idea that an athlete becomes complacent is largely a myth. Is largely something that we as fans put on people. Absolutely. Like, people used to say that it looked like Carlos Beltran wasn't trying. Oh, God. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Carlos Ridiculous. Beltran was just better at it than yeah. anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand
0: why I would have the right to look at any ball player and go, he's not working hard enough. Right. The amount of work that these people do... In their day to day lives, the amount of effort it takes to be a professional baseball player. The idea that we can tell a story about somebody not wanting it enough or somebody not caring enough
1: is ridiculous. I think because of that, we've, at least I have, I can't speak for everybody else, but I feel like we have matured as fans to get beyond the, oh, he signed a contract, therefore he's not trying. (laughs) I hope. Maybe I'm being naive.
0: I am not as optimistic as you.
1: I have lived through this
0: cycle so many times. I think about the crap Gary Carter got when he did not start hitting immediately as a Met. I think about how Mike Piazza was booed in the first few months that he was on the Mets. Sure. Like, we don't have a great track record on this stuff. And I just, I worry that if something isn't Working right away out of the gate with Cespedes, the narrative could turn, and if it does, it will turn hard and it will turn fast.
1: It's a it's a valid concern because we've seen many times in the past where the narrative turns. Yes, remember Bobby Bonilla in the early (laughs) nineties. You know, go through any list of players who were brought in, uh, paid a lot of money, Mm -hmm. um, and hyped. You know, based on past performance. Yep. You know, Brett Saberhagen, Ugh. Vince Coleman. Um, oh, we 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 can go this down hurts. a lengthy list. Um, none of those players were you know, Ioannis Cespedes. You know, he wrote a thing for the Players' Tribune recently about um, his level of comfort with the team. Yes. Um, and, I, because, you know, looking into that, I mean, if you take him at his word... I think he's happy here, and I think he feels comfortable in a way that he probably hasn't felt since he came to the U.S. None of that means anything if he doesn't hit. I know. And I know. And it, and that's unfair, What, but, he, but that's but what's what, going to happen. But what in his history leads you to believe that he won't? He seems to have
0: exhibited a tendency of either hiding injury or downplaying injury Mm -hmm. and that again is a narrative issue because if he knows to play every day and they're not telling us that's not a team problem that's not a medical problem It's a narrative problem and so again like I'm not worried about his performance I'm worried about the narrative around it fair enough that's number two number three and we've already sort of alluded to this a little bit um, earlier on the podcast is for the love of Pete leave Curtis Granderson alone uh, Curtis Granderson has become the heart and soul of this team. Yes. And he's in the final year of his contract. He's somewhat playing out of position. The, you know, as we have said, the Mets outfield is kind of a mishmash of lots and lots of corner outfielders and no center fielders. Um and there was a lot of talk in the offseason that they might trade him. And I know this is a business. And I know everybody moves on. And, you know, I know that sooner rather than later, he's going to be an ex-Met. But I want
1: that day to be as far away as possible. Look, we've already lost Bartolo Cologne. <laughs> we said goodbye to R.A. Dickey. Mm-hmm. Fan favorite. Yeah, I would like to see Curtis Granderson sort of stay with the organization. Um, whether that means they bring him back for like a one-year deal uh-huh. and let him play as long as he wants to. I just feel like having a Curtis Granderson on your team goes a long way towards making you feel good about the team. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. he's he's the guy that he's sort of evolved into that
0: um, Keith Hernandez, Edgardo Alfonso spot for me where if you have one at bat and you need somebody to get a hit, He's the guy I want up. It's not Cespedes. It's not Duda. It's not um, anyone else at this point. If I need a hit, I want Curtis Granderson well, up there.
1: I I feel calm. I feel mm-hmm. like Curtis Granderson is here. It's going to be okay. Yeah. 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 He is our security blanket. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I don't know. I have no insight into the dynamics of the clubhouse, <laughs> but I get the sense. Or at least I imagine that, like, Curtis Granderson is sort of like the dad of the team <laughs> and helps people out and, you know, lets other players borrow the car if they need to, <laughs> um, gives uh, gives other players a stern talking to when they need one. Right. And, and the you know, only place I would like to see him go if he had to go would maybe to see him go to the white Sox as yeah. a dh he is from chicago he's got he's got roots in the community he does a lot of stuff yes for his hometown as far mm-hmm. as um helping kids um play play ball and stay in school and just all of this if i had a kid i would want them to grow up to be like curtis granderson oh i love that curtis Anyway. You know,
0: speaking of um, if someone on the team needs a Stern talking to, we would be remiss if we did not discuss on this opening day podcast the current uh, situation with Juris Familia and his 15-game yes. suspension for
1: violating the league's domestic violence policy. You know what, Jay, before we get into that, uh, that is a very important topic to discuss. However, let's acknowledge the fact that That we are two dudes. Yes, we are. And this is dealing with um, a violence against a woman. Um, I think it would help us to maybe bring in a third opinion on this. Absolutely. Let's do that. So we talk about the idea that Curtis Granderson is the unofficial sort of uh, daddy of the Mets. With none of the implications that the term daddy has on the rest of the internet.
2: Um, Speak for yourself. Um, Curtis Grandison can be my daddy any (laughs) day.
1: That voice you hear is the voice of Mets fan Nina Bargale. Hi everybody. Uh, We decided that Jay and I may not be the best experts to speak on um, violence against women. Jury's familiar. Suspended 15 games. By Major League Baseball. Um, This suspension was handed down following his arrest last October for uh, allegedly assaulting uh, his wife, Bianca Rivas. Ms. Rivas declined to press charges, but Major League Baseball decided that a suspension was warranted. um,
0: As As a baseball fan, as a sports fan, as a fan of the narrative... We just want stuff like this to go away. We never want this stuff to happen in the first place because of the very real human cost of it, but it puts us as fans in a really, really uncomfortable position. And a lot of the conversation around incidents like this, there's always a sense of, can we just move past this and get, pa- get back to the game that we all want to talk about? And... You see this once, you see this twice, you see this again and again and again and again. At some point, you have to say, no, we can't do that.
1: We continue
0: to to make excuses to try to make it okay to move past this. We always look for the story right. that we can all live with.
2: You know what's funny, though? I, I'm listening to you guys, and I get it. But it's so funny because, as a woman... Um, We've always known that there are a bunch of guys who are garbage, and we talk to each other about these people that are garbage secretly amongst other women. And I also understand that, like, there are, you know, gay people talking about straight people and and non-white people talking about white people are garbage. Like, it sort of goes down the line. So I feel like it's it's interesting to see – like, I appreciate the fact that dudes are like, oh, gosh, like, I want to root for this team, but there are garbage human beings on this team – where I feel like women have sort of been dealing with, there are garbage people everywhere. And if we decided to cut all of them out of our lives, we would have no life. Like there would be nothing. We couldn't see a movie. We couldn't see a TV show. We couldn't watch a sporting event. Sure. Um, I think that they don't know how they're still dealing with it as a PR fiasco. Um, And I think that, when you're dealing with it simply as PR, that's where like things start to get kind of mixed up. I mean, we saw that all with the, um, was it the Ray Rice NFL, mm-hmm. where it was like, yeah. we're not going to suspend him, then we are going to suspend him. No, no, we're going to spend him a lot of time. We're going to spend him a little bit of time, just because what they were doing is they were sort of following like, the PR of it all and not dealing with the issue that was at hand.
1: Right. Yeah, the And what we hear all the time is the player, when they speak about it, always sort of characterize this as, I made a mistake. Right. And, like, this goes much further than a mistake. Yeah. You know, a mistake is leaving the water running... Right. ...for an hour. (laughs) Uh, You know, a mistake is is forgetting to set your alarm. Um, This is a choice. Yes.
2: And it's... it's, We live in a world where bad people can do super talented things. Yeah. So, um, you know... I don't, so, I don't know what the solve is.
1: Right. The hard part here is, like, we want to be um, socially conscious fans. Mm-hmm. We want to be fans on the right sides of things. Yeah. And how do we do that? Juris Familia is not the only player on the Mets that I have issues with. Um, I was equally unhappy when they brought Jose Reyes back mm-hmm. last year for the same reason. Um, that one was really, really hard. And that I one, think you know, that we're being naive if we think that these are the only two players on the team. Oh,
2: sure. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, those are the only two players that have been caught. And yes, you have yes. to also imagine the, the women in these circumstances, my thought is probably calling the police is the last thing they want sure. to do because they know that it's going to, yeah. to be out there. The thing that I think about a lot in sort of the... Um, Not in sort of the politics of it all when it comes to baseball, but sort of in the, like, how do you make things better? And I think about that in terms of, you know, I talk a lot, you know, to dudes, and dudes are like, I want to help. And it's like, right, then don't yell at me as a woman. Like, go to your dude friends and talk to them. And I always wonder, and there's no way to truly know, like, how do the players react? Hmm. Like, what is that conversation, like, in the locker room? What's, like, what's that locker room talk? Like, that's what I want to know. Like, who is in there talking to them. That's the only thing that I ever feel like could make an actual difference is your teammates. I mean, even your owner or the, the head of MLB, you know, that's just like, you know, daddy telling you you can't. Right. Yeah. But when your friends come up and talk to you and deal with you, I just feel like that could be a...
0: And that And that was one of the most, one of the weirdest parts of the whole Jose Reyes thing last year when they brought him back was that the person that they put out there to talk to the media about it was David Wright. And David Wright was giving these interviews saying, you know, like, we know that Jose is remorseful. He knows that what he did was wrong. He knows he only has one more shot. And if, you know, that we're supporting him, but if he makes another mistake, we won't anymore. And there was something odd and unsettling Mm -hmm. about, the narrative of that, of like, let's put our team captain mm-hmm. out there to take the heat for that. And is that supposed to make us feel like, okay, I guess this will be fine? Because the and if I'm being really honest, the really unsettling part of that is it worked. Mm-hmm. At least it worked on me. Like I was I was appalled when the the news came out about right. Jose Reyes. I thought his career was over. And then when he came back to the Mets, I was Really, really uncomfortable, but part of me was thrilled he was back because he's an amazing player, and I did not know how to reconcile those two things. And then they put David Wright out there, and you're like, okay, I'll latch on to this. They're going to take care of it. We can trust them to take care of that. But how do we really know that?
2: You don't.
1: You don't. And you don't know. Again, you don't know. Remember, Jerry's Familia was the Mets face for their anti-domestic violence program. Wow. Like, you
0: don't know. The only, other, the only other thing I can think of is um, where, I don't know if they still live there, but when this incident happened, uh, Familia and, and Rivas were at their home in Fort Lee, New Jersey. My parents live in Fort Lee, New Jersey, so mm. I think I'm going to have
1: them drop by just, <laughs> just and just check over. up. Just Bring a dish. Bring a dish hey, in we, the neighborhood. We were passing by on one of our many drives to LaGuardia <laughs> to go to Europe. <laughs> Don't check into that, but we thought we'd bring you this this casserole, yeah,
2: and just check to make yeah.
1: sure that everything right. is okay. Everybody so
2: I'm gonna, can use a casserole, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, so I'm going to
0: ask my parents to check in. Good and job, go, and see see if that helps. But other than that, you know, like they keep trying to find ways where the story can be over. One of the things that I keep seeing in all the articles about it that that really makes me curious is they always say after a long Investigation after a long, rigorous investigation by Major League Baseball's investigation division, and I'm like, who are those guys?
2: Right. Like, What's what, their what, job? What like Law and Order, right. like baseball unit? Right. Is, law
0: and Order MLB. Like, right. It's such right. A, right. And
2: also, like, do you really think it it benefits them? to have him back everything being okay. Yeah. So it's like those investigators don't want to get to the bottom of it. Those investigators want to go to his wife, his wife and say, and she'll go, you know what? It was such a mistake. And they're like, oh, okay, let's move on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you know, everyone wants every individual case to be, you know, think that everyone is on the up and up and everyone is doing their best. And everyone wants the same thing. But you let that go long enough, and you end up with this thing that just happened uh, recently in Brazil, where a Brazilian soccer player who is in jail for killing his girlfriend
2: and feeding her and to the dog. feeding
0: her to dogs was l- released from prison on a technicality and immediately signed with a team.
2: And, and hugely, also, I believe that. There are, uh, are other people on that team that have been yeah. served time for rape. Wow. and I don't think there's another murderer, but... Um, so there is that, a
1: strict one murderer per team. Right, rule. Right, you get, right. You get one. So
0: uh, where that line is, is really interesting. And I think that for all of us, it's an individual
1: choice. I'm, I'm going to just go on a limb here. I am against people hitting their wives. Just <laughs> call me. Call <laughs> old, me. Old statement. Call me very progressive, uh-huh. whatever you want to call me, but I'm against that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe that people can redeem themselves. I do believe that people um, deserve the right to earn a living. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I continue to be troubled by the narrative of "let's get over this." Yeah. If you want to get over this, you need to make it clear that you are dedicating the rest of your life. To not making the wrong choice, yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, you hear this, you you hear a lot of arguments that you know baseball is doing everything in their power, and that you know these investigations and these suspensions are happening in cases
1: where there is no legal finding. Right, and baseball could have said, yeah, right, the law said nothing happened, so nothing happened. I'm glad that they're doing. At least something. Something. I wish it it would have been a longer suspension. Yeah.
2: Um, What happens during the suspension? I mean, is there anything? Does he have to get counseling? Is there any sort of...
0: From what I read, part of the reason why his suspension was 15 games and not 30 Mm -hmm. is that he completed a series of baseball-mandated counseling sessions already.
2: So there is some sort of thing yeah. that they have to do. Yes. Because this is all, you know, sort of the, um, I'm going to lay down the words that people love. This is just the culture of toxic masculinity. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why it's yeah. so, you know, revolves around sort of all athletics is because it's, you know, big yeah. tough guys doing big tough things. Yeah.
1: All right. Guys who have never been told no. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, reacting to, to suddenly being in a position where they are not Feeling all powerful. Yeah. So, as fans,
0: what do we do? That's the ultimate question, and right. all of this is sort of dancing around that question. Sure. And and I go back to that thing about you know this is kind of how I feel about Jose Reyes now is I'm I'm I'm
1: cheering for him, mm. but it doesn't feel right. I am. I want to quote.
2: Are you here, thinking of a
1: yes? Yeah. Here in. That. Here in uh, Santa Monica, there is a there is a restaurant and bar um, in downtown Santa Monica called West Fourth and Jane, Ooh. where um, it is the home of the local S- uh, Southern California Mets fan meetups. And uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Marco Sandoval who um, who hosts those um, meetups. And if you ever here in Southern California, I recommend you going down and meeting Marco um, because, as he says. When it comes to somebody like Jose Reyes, we're cheering for the name on the front of the uniform, not the name on the back of the uniform. And we want the Mets to be successful, but, you know, as Marco has said, like, he's not going to get up and cheer when Jose Reyes is up. Um, when when Reyes first came back to the team and he had, you know, stepped to the plate, a number of fans started, you know, the, Jose, Jose, mm-hmm. and that was, hey, yeah. we're not going to do that here. Yeah. yeah. And as fans, I think what we can do to start to shift that toxic masculinity is to continue to speak out and say, this is not okay.
2: Well, I think think that that's also something that's incredibly important because um, if... I had said something like that, about, Ugh, women they're so oversensitive, it becomes like a whole thing. Right. But for a guy to stand up and be like, Listen, like this isn't okay, people are like, Oh, okay. And you know, does that suck? Yes, but I'll take it. Hmm. Yes.
1: Absolutely. I you know, I think that dudes need to check your dude friends. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I've been you know, I've been on not that this makes a giant difference, but you know, when Jose was back, I've made sure that the Mets knew you know how I felt about this. I was not afraid. You know, I send emails. Yeah. Um, I you know was posting on the Mets Facebook page. Just I need to make sure that they know that not everybody is okay right. with this. And then you know what happens? You know when the season ends. Well, mm-hmm. a lot of people just say, well, we're going to just turn the page on Jose Reyes. It's 2017 now. That was last year. Yep. And want to do the same thing with familiar if we get midseason and he's back on the field and and the Mets are doing well I, it's important to not forget these things and I guess the other question is is what is
0: what is the thing that either the team or the individual player can do that would be enough that would qualify as feeling like genuine remorse or reparations and that didn't immediately invoke a feeling of they're just doing it for PR purposes, right? And I don't, I don't I know. Don't, what the I, can, is. I don't
2: know. What the I don't know. Is. Yeah.
1: But I think one. I think the best thing, the first thing I would like to see is to stop the conversation of it's a family issue. I don't want to talk about it because that continues to push it further sure.
0: away. Sure. And there are instances. There have been instances in the past where we've seen. The Mets, as a team or baseball in a larger, uh, as a larger organization, putting family welfare ahead of uh, team needs. And the the story that I that this makes me think of is if 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 you remember, or you might not, um, the Mets used to have a, uh, an outfielder named Carl Everett in the late '90s, and they uh, he and his wife Linda. Would uh, had two kids who they brought to the ballpark for the ballpark daycare mm-hmm. while Carl Everett was playing. And one of the daycare workers noticed bruises on one of the kids. They called social services and social services got involved. The Mets got involved and the Everett's lost their kids for a year. Oh my God. Because uh, on on suspicion of child abuse. Mm-hmm. And while that went through the courts... And took a long time to resolve. And Carl Everett's relationship with the team never recovered. But it seems like, and I don't remember all the ins and outs of it, but it seems like from a fan perspective that the team put the child's welfare ahead of the team's welfare. So
2: they just have a, there's a shred of humanity there.
0: Yeah. And so I guess we just have to hope that, they still have that, that, you know, when Sandy Alderson stands up in front of the media and says, you know, we will cautiously support Jose Reyes. And if he does one thing to make us regret that support, then he's
1: gone. That if that happens, we have to hold them to that. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's a one and done. Yeah. like." You know, like I said, people have the right to pursue their profession. Yeah. Um, people have the right to earn a living, and I don't want to take that away from somebody. Um, but you may get a second chance. I, I don't believe in any third chances, yeah. and I'm still unhappy about the second chance, yeah. to be quite honest. Yeah. I feel like um, the only way we're going to, to sort of break this cycle of violence is to just you know, with a zero tolerance policy and basically you're one and done.
2: I wonder though, my concern with that is that will it continue to happen and women will just not call the police.
1: Yeah. You know, unfortunately, you know, we've seen evidence where, um, you know, think of all of the cases where, you know, there is a, there is a call about, you know, a domestic dispute, charges are not pressed and someone ends up dead. Right. Yeah. Like, um. I mean, none bigger than OJ Simpson. But yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, from a personal perspective, all that I can do is continue to talk about this. Yeah. Um, and continue to believe victims. Um, I feel like as a younger person. I mistakenly would believe the player. Mm. Um, because I wanted to believe the player. Because right. that was the narrative in my mind. Yes. That these were my heroes. Um, someone is just trying to take down one of my heroes. And I realize now that no, that's um, not the case. Remember in the early 90s when several members of the Mets were accused of um, sexual assault in spring training? I don't remember that. Um, I... I don't want to give the wrong names. Early 90s, spring training, um, there was a woman who um, accused several Mets of bringing her to a party at uh, Team House and raping her. Um, And at the time, I was like, well, there's no way this happened. And I believe now, 25 years later, that absolutely happened. Yeah.
2: Again, it's that thing where it's... it's sort of interesting to see, because we've always been like, of course that happened. Like, I know that happened. That happens to lots of people that I that I personally know, not with the Mets, but... Um, so Right,
1: I don't... I'm not asking for a pat welcome on the
2: back. To a, welcome to our garbage world, gentlemen. Welcome <laughs> to our garbage world. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: I don't deserve a pat on the back <laughs> for finally understanding that, hey, women be telling the truth.
2: Well, and I... But I also think that... Um, the, the sort of narrative of of media has changed a slight bit where I feel like people are starting to take those things seriously. Mm -hmm. Like where my dad is saying about like Ben Roethlisberger, like that guy, like he, he probably raped like young girl. Like Mm -hmm. that's not okay. Like my 74 year old dad can get there. Then everybody else can get there.
1: Yeah. On that note,
2: (sighs) on that note, super fun.
0: Well, um, thank you for joining us. Thanks Nina. for I, having me. I hope me. It, I hope we'll have you back at some point later on to discuss something a little less awful.
2: Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is super fun. Uh, <laughs> can we go back to Curtis and Curtis Granderson, Kurti- my daddy?
1: Um, we can talk more about Daddy Curtis Granderson.
2: Call me Curtis.
1: Um, we can also talk about our great hope that um, Bartolo Colon comes back <gasps> to the Mets, <sighs> and then I can go
2: back to writing the Bartolo and Grandy mystery. Yes.
1: Um, Nina, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks, guys.
1: Jay, thank you again. Thank you. I think uh, I am ready for the season. Me 12. Let's play ball.